Hey everybody, welcome to How to Stay in Your Lane and Love It, the Entrepreneur's Cheat Sheet. Um, those of you that know me and are currently joining me at this 5 o'clock hour know that typically I am heading for the car to go pick my kids up at school and shift into mom mode, which is going to be one of the questions that I'm sure will come up at the end during our Q&A, how to balance mom and work in, one of my specialties. Um, this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart for a variety of reasons. Number one, it's my life. Uh, also, number two, I personally would love to see more women believe in themselves, craft their idea, and bring more businesses to the table and do it in a way that is self-sustaining and really changes the way the very world works that we all live in. So um, I'll give you kind of my overview and cheat sheet first. Um, some of it may be review if you've read pieces of my blog. Um, at any given time, you can feel free to raise your hand and ask a question. You can type in a chat question. I'll try to get to as many questions as I can. And then at the end, my plan is to open it up to Q&A. So I'm going to switch over here. I'm going to put in a couple of handouts. So take a look over at your handouts bar. Um, let me add these guys in. So you've got your handout. And then I'm also going to be attaching a leadership quiz if you haven't yet taken it. Highly recommend. Here we go. So both those handouts were added. You can look over at your tool, uh, tool box, tool bin, I don't know, one of those words. It should show the two PDFs. You can click download. Go definitely grab a pen. Um, I'm sure that there is a you know, varying degree to which each of you on here either have started a business or are in the beginning stages of thinking that you might have a business, but you're not quite sure how to take it to the next level. Or perhaps you have a business that's grown exponentially faster than you thought it would, and now you're trying to figure out how to pick up the pace and scale. I've been through every single stage that I just previously described, and I'm happy to be there to shed some light on what those varying phases might look like. Um, so I can see who's currently signed on, and like I said, if you have any questions, you can always feel free to raise your hand, chat me a question. Um, I definitely like things to be interactive, so there's never a moment where I'm going to be pissed off they're interrupting me. Not really my style. Um, so I do have to try as closely as I can to keep this within an hour, but I'm going to get to my son's soccer game. It's called Balance, everybody. I'm going to do my best. So I'm going to share my screen, and we'll go from here. Hopefully you guys can see this. How to stay in your lane and love it. Okay. So this actually was an idea taken from a lecture that I gave at uh, an event called Fitposium. So I'm definitely the kind of person that someone asks me to do something, and I don't typically know what's going to come out until somebody says, hey, can you do this? So I was asked to lead a lecture series as a keynote at Fitposium, and this idea came to me, what really makes a business not only marketable, but long-term sustainable? And it came to me that I think the main thread that ties all of these ideas together is that 
it's really authentic to that person and that that authentic message is carried out not only in how the brand actually is brought to market, but in the photos, how it's talked about, what the copy looks like. Does the idea somehow match what the origin idea was and then it's just kind of evolved naturally with that authentic brand vision? Or was the idea formed, somebody picked away at it and then you brought something to market that was marketable, i.e. matching maybe competitors or created via too much market research, which we're gonna talk about here I think is actually the kiss of death. This is why it's called how to stay in your lane and love it. This is about how to properly use tunnel vision to bring your idea or vision to life without getting too caught up in what other people are doing or what this marketing expert says or this worked for somebody else. Maybe if I just tweak a few things, this will work for me. There are a variety of formulas that can work for each type of founder and each type of idea, but it's really important to be very clear on who you are, why you're that person and what your brand or, or service or product is so that you can really make sure to measure that authentic message against everything that you're about to try. If you're going to try this marketing tactic, does that match with how you created your brand vision? Does that match with how your end consumer is going to digest your product or service? So these are all things that I am excited to start teaching you. And this is going to be, I would imagine, um, part of a much longer series. I'm going to be leading, hopefully it'll, for now it'll just be monthly because I just, time is not something that I have a ton of, but I'm going to be doing a business, definitely kind of female centric business podcast called The Secret Sauce. I'm going to be filming it once a month and I really want to guide it based on your questions. So this isn't something where it's just kind of the, what do I feel like talking about today show? I really would love to really kind of work through some of what's hanging you up in your businesses and see if I can really be of assistance on some of these sessions because um, I think a lot of us have a tendency to learn better dissecting somebody else's business or helping solve them their problems, mostly because it's not so intensely personal so our defense mechanisms aren't up. We can take a look at a business, so imagine it's a geometric shape, we can kind of look under the hood, look at it from all different directions without taking it from that standpoint of like, we're a triangle and we don't anyone, want anyone to see that we're a different shape on the underside. Like imagine we're a pyramid, that was a weird analogy, but do you know what I mean? We don't want people to kind of like look under the hood and a lot of times we don't realize how many blockages we have up there. Um, so we kind of deflect off of questions that really, if asked about our business, could drastically improve the way our business is brought to market. So um, I would hope that a lot of you brought questions today because I like to work with the, the real problems. And excuse me, there's somebody spray painting or something outside of my office and the fumes are literally killing me. One second. So that gave me a window opening situation. Uh, Is somebody spray painting? Meanwhile, while I die of paint fumes in my office. So here's the deal, guys. If I pass out from paint fumes, I'm gonna need y'all to kind of call 911 because I'm all alone. I'm all alone with my tiny espresso shot glass. Okay, here we go. So from the amount of people that are on right now, I'm going to go ahead and assume that the vast majority of you probably know who I am. Um, 
in a nutshell, I originally founded Booty Yoga, but that was after I had really had my first career in PR. Um, I was a PR account executive, went on to run my own firm and have people working under me. I was definitely on the come up during the rise of the gifting suite in Hollywood. I worked with a lot of celebrities, I worked with a lot of product placement. So I already came into this business knowing a lot about how to craft a story, i.e. craft a pitch, how do you really pitch a product or a brand to make it relevant to what's going on in the world today or what's going on this month. That really was my background, so my background was writing and being able to really see unique aspects of products and how to tell stories about them. So it was no surprise that when I eventually came to this gift of booty via a very traumatic situation with my daughter, um, that I was able to not only see how it transformed me, but also see how to bring this business to market. Now, truth be told, despite the fact that I had run a PR firm and done all of that, creating an actual standalone business and growing a company from the ground up that required a lot of moving pieces and being kind of more that industry disruptor, that was all brand new to me. Hey, Danny. Hey, say hi, Danny. Oh, no, I spilled my espresso. That's okay. No use crying over spilled espresso. Are you spray painting? For some reason, it's coming right into my vent. Thanks, Bill. Now my espresso is on the floor. Um, so, see, this is real life, y'all. This is the real entrepreneur life. I don't know if you can see, but you're really in my office. Where's my, oopsie, eat, sleep, lead, repeat. That's my motto. Sticking by it. Um, so I came into this knowing a lot, right? I wasn't like a dummy that had no experience coming into this. It would have been really hard to build booty solo had I not had any knowledge about anything. But I had no idea what a shit show it was going to be and how many hurdles I was going to have to jump and how many stages of growth really existed in the company. So um, believe me, I have lots to share about the actual journey itself and how essentially in the process of building this business, I had to effectively get my MBA, not by going to Harvard or anything and taking classes, but I was kind of shoved into situations where because I did the go it alone path, I had to learn how to do each of these things, which by the way is on my cheat sheet of things that are absolutely recommended. Really taking that kind of self-efficacy path and learning everything you can about your business and not being so quick to put your hands up and be like, mm, I'll defer to an expert because that expert doesn't have your brand vision in mind. You can try all you want to communicate it to them, but really at the end of the day, the, the person that is most important here that care that actually like birthed that company or brand or service baby, they're the ones that need to really learn all of these business execution steps so that they can, excuse me, my overalls are trying to get undressed in front of you, um, so that they can really effectively bring this brand or product or service to market in a way that matches the original vision. Um, so I've done that, and I've now done that with a few different companies, and one thing that's very important to me is I don't ever just create a company just to create it. Somebody can't come to me and be like, I've got this great idea for rubber bands, and I'd be like, great, sign me up. Um, I create businesses out of need for myself or my family. Um, so once you've done this effectively and you understand how to do it, you kind of understand aspects of it that are formulaic. Once you understand how those steps need to go in a certain sequence and you have the right context, it is a lot easier 
to see a problem, formulate a solution, and then turn that solution to business, which is effectively what I've done, um, aside from the break method, which I'll touch on toward the end. Um, somebody typed in, was Booty your vision from the get-go, or did it evolve? Um, so Booty itself, I would argue to say that it was not my vision, but it was given to me in a vision. I actually, oddly enough, um, and this is something that's been happening to me off and on for a while, and we'll touch on it a bit later. Um, I have a bit of entrepreneurial psychic ability, maybe we'll say. Um, this has happened in a few different instances, but I think this has to do more with taking care of myself and uh, really believing in myself and tuning into the messages that I think a lot of us get, but we kind of dismiss and stop listening to. And I have been working hard in my adult life to start to listen to some of those hits and execute on them properly, um, one of which was booty. I had been through a really traumatic childbirth with my daughter. Um, she came out not breathing at all. We had a home birth. She didn't breathe for about 20 minutes. Needless to say, drama ensued. She, we were both medevaced at a certain point. And my daughter now has special needs. She's got cerebral palsy. She's stunning and amazing. And my life has turned out great. So this isn't a, a sob story. But in the process of trying to heal from that birth trauma, my mother-in-law at the time suggested doing a Native American medicine ceremony which I begrudgingly did. Um, I'm a bit of a control freak and doing any type of hallucinogen at that point in my life was a very scary idea, especially because I felt like there were just, there was just so much going on in terms of traumatic wounding and just feeling really out of control. Um, so of course, getting even more out of control felt very dangerous and yet it really was the best medicine for me at the time. And in that process of doing the peyote ceremony, I immediately kind of got taken somewhere else, wherever that was, and I felt like I had to leave the circle, and I felt everything in my body being kind of pushed in this spiral. And at the time, I had also, I had been a yoga teacher since I was 19, but it was kind of more of a passion. Yoga teachers don't make a lot of money. Duh. So if you're on here being like, how can I make a lot of money being a yoga teacher? That's really hard. Go pick a different profession. Um, or don't. We can talk about it. I can help you, but it, it's hard. Um, so at that point, it was really just a passion project, and I took it seriously, obviously. My practice has been pretty uh, advanced for a while, but it really was just kind of like a sideline thing. So I did this ceremony, got what I described at the time as trapped in the Shakti spiral, kept asking everybody else, like, you're really not feeling this? Like, I can't get out of the Shakti spiral. And eventually I ended up kind of panicking as one does when they're high and uh, like removed myself from the situation to kind of meditative state in front of um, this tanka that my ex-husband uh, painted of Ganesh that was amazing. And I just started to kind of like write down all these notes and I was like, oh my God, we've been moving our body wrong this whole time. Our practice is too static and we're missing all these muscles and we're missing the connection with the energetic anatomy. So anyways, I had this brain dump. And obviously the practice itself has evolved in leaps and bounds over the past, I would say definitively like four years. The practice is seven years old, as is my daughter, because I started it right after she was born. Um, but it has evolved uh, 100%. But I will say with 100% certainty, from the moment that I taught my first class and I felt it in my body and I looked at my students in tears on the mat, I knew that this was the thing. Like I knew I saw the end game. 
Um, so I've been really incredibly committed to it ever since that day. So that was the question. Um, since then, I've created Golden Ratio, our supplement line. Um, we have a variety of kind of like subsidiary apparel things. And then um, Brave Method, of course, is my, that's my baby. That is less of a, a business creation. And I'll explain why at the end. Um, so anyways, you know a little bit about me. My companies, for the most part, have seen 400% year-over-year growth. We were nominated by Forbes magazine for the top 500 fastest growing companies. Um, we are a pretty lean team. At this point, we're 10 full-time employees. Um, I did grow this business without taking on outside investors. Um, we did do angel investment early on. I'm going to go through all the different funding options in this little series. Um, and I'm sorry, my chair keeps making like a weird... Do you hear that? Anyways, my chair keeps making a sound. Um, so I did go the angel investment route. Um, at this point, we've paid off all of our angel investment, which was really, really, if I look back on it, it was wasted money, but I'll explain why when we get to the don't hire friends and family note at the end. Um, but at this point, we have grown our business by ourselves uh, very organically and have been able to pay off all of our debt. Now we are we. I own 100% of the company, which is really exciting because most people don't get to this point in their growth um, with still owning that much. Usually, retained ownership at this point in our growth is more toward the kind of like 50% or less than operating share. So that's pretty cool. And I'm 32. Um, I have been told that I'm a boss bitch. Um, I try to be more of a boss and less of a bitch, but we're gonna get to the nuts and bolts of how to really be an effective leader and carry your brand vision all the way through and go into it knowing uh, not everybody's going to like you. A lot of people are going to turn on you. A lot of your customers will get catty and try to pick at you, maybe even, I don't know, create forums to talk shit about you. It's happened. Um, you might even find yourself in a position where you go to Google something and all of a sudden these like terrible things come up about you on Google that are just like recommended. We thought you'd like to check out Busy Gold's dead husband. Oh, you thought? I'd like to. Thanks, Google. I appreciate you. Um, so just know that with any type of, you know, forward momentum in a business and success comes a bunch of other terrible bullshit. But it's even more why you have to be clear on why you're doing it, what it is, and really see what that finish line looks like so that you can be motivated to move through these more challenging times because the challenging times are 100% in front of you. If you think that this is the challenging time, you need to quit <laughs> right now because it's about to get way, way worse. But when it gets worse, it also means hopefully that you are executing your lifelong dream, bringing it to life, and pouring your blood, sweat, and tears into it, and that that execution of passion and purpose is all you need really to keep going. So that's me. I do a lot of mom and um, a lot of work to try to help change the world. And I go on TV and stuff sometimes. Lately, this is more my cup of tea. Um, media is a, is a funny thing. Um, this is a zone where at least I get to be in charge of my own destiny. And if I want to say fuck, I can say fuck. So fuck yeah. I've been told that very intelligent people swear more frequently. So um, let's start here. And I hope that you, by this point, have your workbook out. If not, please grab a notebook. This is very important. So 
So it's important to ask ourselves the really tough questions, right? Because no one else is going to ask us these questions. And like I mentioned earlier, if someone does ask us these tough questions, we're probably going to be accidentally defensive and deflect and not really get to the good stuff. So first questions first, does the world really need your product or service? Are you filling a gap? Are you filling a void? Is there nobody like you? Or is there nobody that's done what you do as good or the way that you do it? So some brands that clearly come to mind and we can go through a few of these. Let me move my webcam so I can see what I'm doing here. Um, so let's obviously, duh. Can anyone really imagine our lives without Uber now? When I went to Hawaii for RYT, I was shocked at how uncomfortable life was sans Uber, right? It filled a huge, important gap in our transportation needs. Carbon 38, one of the very first fashionable outlets for fitness clothing, right? Fashionable fitness clothing wasn't really a thing, especially having a one-stop online shop for fashionable fitness clothing. And by the way, I don't even shop at Carbon 30 and they're definitely not paying me to say this. So I'm pointing out industry standouts that have genuinely changed the way an industry works. And they are like the revolve clothing of the fitness industry. Paleo Magazine, they were the first paleo magazine to hit the stands. They saw that the paleo trend was picking up and saw, hey, Nobody is there to actually fill this huge void for all of the advertising that will inevitably need to happen for paleo products that are coming to market. And holy shit, they've done a really great job. If you look at that magazine, it is like mostly advertisement. And this is something that I can see because I understand how the back end of the industry works. When you look at all those articles that are written, who's writing those articles? Advertisers. They're doing advertising and selling content at the same time and you don't even know it. But they created this magazine out of a need seeing a growing industry and knowing that that industry would need to advertise their products. So amazing. Um, we all know Bulletproof, the butter latte, personally makes me fat, it's delicious, makes me gain weight like a mofo. Um, but let's take Bulletproof for instance. I met one of the doctors that was brought on board for that and this was somebody that saw a deficit and that nothing, no diet plan was really properly packaged with products and a cafe. He saw a clear opening in a space, brought on a great team of doctors and really rocked out. The Balanced Blonde, she was the first one to come out as having been consistently vegan. I'm pretty sure she had a well-known vegan blog here. I'm not 100% sure. But then she started working with my friend and I would say comrade in the fitness industry, Kelly Levesque, who made her realize that she needed to start eating meat for her body. And she had to publicly go from vegan to not vegan. And those of you that know vegans, do you know what hard task that was? That was not easy. And she came out as the balanced blonde and she's built a huge following from it. Um, we already know the booty's an industry disruptor because you're all part of it. Instagram, think about that for a second. Booty predates Instagram. What? Mind, body, green. Anyways, you guys see the point. There are a variety of businesses and products out there. And it's not that there's only one paleo magazine but there's only one paleo magazine that was able to jump in there, see the market gap fast enough and get that intellectual property and see that those products will need to be advertised. So magazines, for those of you that don't know, as much as you wanna think 
a magazine is actually for your content consuming pleasure. Tis not. Tis not for your, cons or your consuming pleasure. It is for advertising. Magazines make their money off of advertising. So it was genius that Paleo Magazine saw a gap in advertising and capitalized on it while also giving you guys awesome content. And frankly, as a consumer that's Paleo, it's great to be able to see what new products are out there advertising because as we mentioned, this is a growing industry. So I hope that you have now taken your pen to paper in that handout section and you've told not only yourself, but you're able to effectively tell me when I inevitably accidentally call on you. You know, I could just unmute any of you at any time, by the way. So stay on your toes, people. Um, I wanna know why the world needs your product, business, or service and what you do that is different. And I need you to be very, very clear about what you do that's different. What problem does your business solve? Because I think a lot of people come into this space knowing, you know, entrepreneur is a buzzword. Like, I want to be an entrepreneur. I get to control my own schedule. I get to make money passively, whatever the case may be, whatever you associate with being an entrepreneur. Um, but a lot of you might not actually solve a problem with your business. Um, so this isn't like I see a little boo-boo and I'm going to put a bandaid on it. This needs to be a problem that has a large enough audience where enough people experience this problem and you have a clear enough solution for that problem that it can be consumed. So this is where you start to think about the problem, which then will dictate what industry or what demographic you're targeting, what the sizes of that demographic, and then how you have to speak to that demographic about your problem. Because the way you describe a problem to one group versus another is different. Um, and I just saw that my friend Nadia is on here. Nadia, I hope that you do bring your questions to the Q&A because I do adore you. Nadia is coming out to hang out with me next week. So maybe next week we'll do our first secret sauce podcast while she's here. We'll see if I can get her on there. Um, okay. So if you're a true founder, and that means if you really are somebody that has the brand vision or the business vision, and you're ready to actually bring this shit to market, this one's for you. So I think before even going into any of this stuff, it's important to get clear on what your founder personality is, right? So people are used to taking quizzes and this isn't some bullshit like lead capture quiz or whatever, you know? We're not, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I just want you to be successful. So to figure out your visionary, your personality, let's start with going through visionary. So I'm gonna kind of talk you through the descriptions and then you just have to accurately self-assess, which sounds like an easy task, but um, in my practice, I found that it's actually one of the hardest things. So do your best to accurately self-assess and try not to be aspirational. If there are things that you desire to be one day, cool. But if those aren't actually active in your daily practice today, maybe just measure this based on how you actually are showing up today. So visionary, unwavering commitment, almost to the point of frequent burnout to your idea willing to take on a lot of personal risk at the upside of seeing their vision come to fruition authentically, uh, mission and vision focused over traditional data analytics. Um, obviously, for those of us that don't speak business, that means you care about the why of the product more than the actual data or numbers. So in some cases, this actually pans out well for people. And I've found that especially in investment situations, um, if you go to the wrong group trying to seek investment, if they're really data-driven and you're more that why-focused entrepreneur, 
you're gonna butt heads, they're not gonna understand your business, and then you could walk out of an unnecessary meeting feeling like shit about yourself when you really were just a mismatch in investment opportunity, which is why I'm gonna go through those strategies a bit later. Um, so another thing that's critical here is that you tend to fuse your passion and creativity into all of your meetings and customer interactions, but you also can get distracted by your creativity when it comes to management. Um, I will say that I am definitely a lot of visionary and I've watched this go good and bad and if you look at that handout it goes through what these styles are like when they're balanced or out of balance. So it's not that any of these things is like defective except the entrepreneur. You guys can just genuinely fuck off. Um, and maybe you're an entrepreneur and this is going to wake you up and realize that you know you actually have the real thing in you and then maybe now you get to the real idea in which case you can come back. Um, but this can get really hairy if you keep neglecting the organization and management elements, which believe me, I'm guilty of uh, multiple times. So don't, don't do that, that's bad. The doer, never stopped by the word no, much like a lot of our society. Focused on timelines, organization, a sense of urgency. Uh, this person works well in chaos, which we all know from an emotional addiction standpoint means that they likely also create chaos via their over-focus on organization and timelines, but that's neither here nor there. Um, they can often get inspired in these times of chaos, which can be a good thing, and often that's why a lot of people like this tend to create chaos because that's when they get their best ideas. So I'm actually part of this as well. Um, and you can, by the way, when you go through and take this quiz, you can be a variety of these things at the same time, which I have considered to be the adapter, which again, comes with its own set of pros and cons. Um, and also, this is a person that often can make quick pivots when challenging uh, situations pop up, which is a great thing. Um, if you're gonna create a lot of chaos, you better fucking be good at pivoting because in chaos, you're going to eventually have to pivot. Pivot means that even though you've been focused on one thing or one iteration of a thing, things the technical word, you are quickly able to see that's not working or this message isn't working or this image isn't working. I'm going to quickly move about 10 degrees this way, shift it slightly and see if that hits. So pivots are just small movements where it's not like you're taking your whole business 180, but you're able to accurately assess how your message or brand is being consumed and you're able to work quickly to effectively change the message or how it's being consumed. We also have the empath. Um, the empath is definitely focused on integrating the customer mood, but also the staff mood. Um, this is something that you can see go hairy in business. This is where you start to see the owner of the company maybe be too empathetic and have people on the staff that are getting paid too much or kind of walk all over you, take advantage, and despite your best intentions, um, because you really just care about them, unfortunately, some people are just takers. And if you hold your hand out and you're a giver, um, there's only one thing that can happen on that other side if you don't work hard to keep that energetic boundary strong. Um, here, we also see um, a non-competitive work environment which can be great, can also not be great. Definitely focused on the now, so not really learning from past, which would require data analytics, but also not too focused on the future. And this person often guides business strategy through intuition. 
um, instead of kind of those more concrete, tangible means. The analyst, practical, analytical, not likely to take risks, so definitely a risk-averse person and probably somebody that actually goes out of their way to measure risk via data. Um, this person can get overly obsessed with competitor analysis, which we're going to touch on a little bit later because I think that's one of the things that does the most damage to a business. Um, focus on organization management over creativity. And this type of person is much more focused on future results over the current situation. So if you're really pushing for some end results, you're not gonna really care that your employees are like about to coup d'etat your ass. So maybe you wouldn't really be paying attention. Um, so I think we can already see via the first four that there's some bits of each one of them that kind of make for an ideal founder, CEO, etc. Um, and that being too strong in one of them can wreak havoc on your business, um, especially based on what phase your business is in, right? Because your business also goes through growth phases. Being an empath might really have its place in your business development until a certain time, at which point you're shooting yourself in the foot repeatedly to the point where your foot has blown off. And it's your job to do work like this or somebody else's shit to help you see clearly the path that lies ahead so that you can make decisions or pivots even in your own leadership style. The entrepreneur, my least favorite human on the planet. This person is focused on living the lifestyle with little to no skin in the game. It's already making my skin crawl. Consistently looking to other successful businesses or IG accounts to do something similar but make it different by XYZing it. Um, puts themselves up on a pedestal to supporting staff and rarely has anything inspirational to say, um, probably because they're just copying somebody else's bullshit to make money, and all discussion of the why becomes inauthentic because the staff can sense it. Um, I can't tell you how many times I have had to deal with this very person, especially copying my own business, which is funny because you can't copy soul. And I think that's one of the most important takeaways when we really, if you're, if you're true to who you are and you have a real vision and you're really willing to put in that hard work and go through the process of learning about yourself, learning about your ability to truly be a leader and scale your business, you can't fucking copy that. You just can't. If your soul is in it and you brought forward an authentic message, no matter what somebody tries to do, uh, they're not ever going to be able to truly duplicate it and also karma's a bitch. So, done. These are a couple things that you can do to make sure that um, you're not falling into that entrepreneur category, which, listen, I think some people end up there not intentionally. I don't think they're like, you know what, I really want, I feel like I want to be a douchebag. That's what I'm going to do for a living. I'm going to be a douche. Um, I don't think that that's really the case at all. So for those of you that might be having this realization as you're going through this, like, wow, that's kind of speaking to me. And remember, I gave this lecture live and much, much harsher, by the way, at Fitposium. And you could see the looks on people's faces that they, they were just, their facade was crumbling. But most of these people came over to me at the end, gave me a huge hug, and they were like, oh my God, thank you so much. I just, you woke me up. And all I really want to do here is wake people up because for the most part, a lot of you have bought into some sort of like bizarre ad funnel, make your own online program bullshit. And they've made you believe that you can cookie cut this whole thing. You can't. 
They just need you to believe that to take your money, which is why I'm here literally not selling you a goddamn thing. I just want people to stop being entrepreneurs and stop falling into these deep holes that eventually end up making you feel like a failure. And that's the last thing that I want personally. So um, I don't want anyone feeling like failures. We just want people to feel like serious, serious bosses. Um, so a couple of important things that you can go through to make steps to decide, you know, am I kind of on that entrepreneur side or maybe what I'm trying to make into a business is really just a passion, which is okay. Um, knowing when a thing is a business versus a passion saves you, you know, at least months, if not years of feeling like a failure, which is terrible. It's a terrible feeling. Don't recommend it. So every business must somehow solve a problem, which we already touched upon, or disrupt an actual way something is executed or the way people are currently doing it today. Disrupt means to offer somebody a way to do something completely differently or that is starkly contrasted to the current. Uh, it can be easy to burn out when you attempt to turn a business or a passion into a business for the wrong reasons, which is why we're doing this. These are the most common reasons that this next generation has really, unfortunately, kind of dipped into the entrepreneur phase. Choosing to be an entrepreneur simply because it's the seemingly most least or least resistant path, which is what you are definitely having a misconception about. Um, a lot of the Instagram models are people that are kind of, you know, documenting, we'll put in air quotes, on Instagram. Those are staged. They're not necessarily real moments. I have personally met with people that were like, oh yeah, that was staged. I wasn't really at Cannes Film Festival. I was like, you know, didn't get an invite, but I went and took a picture and I wore the dress. Um, that is all carefully crafted to pitch you some bullshit that's not really real. So don't immediately fall into that gap. Also, building a business is really challenging. And like I said, you have to be in it for the right reasons and really have that passion and purpose aligned because when those roadblocks come and they will, you have to have that fire to move through them and to not just immediately label it as a failure. Um, also, the abundance of life coaches. I think the last stat I looked at was that it's like over $2 billion a year industry right now, which makes my stomach turn a little bit. Um, not everybody should be a life coach. And in fact, most life coaches should not be life coaches. I'm not even sure that that career path should exist, but that's neither here nor there. There are some people that are doing a great job, but in general, that industry is very broken. Um, and part of the reason it's broken has to do with the next one. It's easy to build an online course. Just ask Marie Forleo. I'm sure she's a fabulous woman. I know she's smart. She's built a phenomenal business, but part of what her business has done is number one, oversaturate the market with people that have no business teaching a goddamn thing. And she's made it really easy for people to package themselves as an expert when they're not in any way, shape or form an expert. You know, a long time ago, you used to have to really work hard at your craft and genuinely do the research and keep showing up to be the expert to one day have, you know, the right access to public speaking events. Now anyone can create their own online platform via things like Marie Forleo. And unfortunately, when you have an influx of people like that, you also have an influx of assholes. So hopefully if you're on here today, you're not one of the assholes. Um, choosing to be an entrepreneur just because of the lifestyle, we were just talked about that. It's not real in most cases. And even if the lifestyle is like that at times, the stress level is exponentially higher. Um, also, the you can't decide what to do, so I'll just build up my Instagram. I keep hearing this a lot. I lecture to college-age women a lot, and this is something that I hear almost to the point of annoyance. 
Um, at which point I genuinely want to like throw all these girls in a, that was going to sound weird, throw them in a bag, not in like a kidnappy kind of way, but like, you know, take them to my office way, put them to work for a week and show them what you can actually do even in a week of gaining knowledge to build a business. I mean, any one of you, if you worked in my office for a month, would have enough knowledge to last you a lifetime. And I think it, the same goes for a lot of businesses that are out there. I don't think mine is necessarily unique in that way. Um, but just not knowing what to do and then building up your Instagram is not something that gives you a skill set to execute at a later date, right? And a lot of Instagram accounts, by the way, are exceptionally fake. Um, I can't, the best way to take a look at it is to look at the number of followers and then how many likes and post engagements they have. So like I have 28 point something and mine are all 100% organic. And my likes range from like 500 to 1500, depending on whether it's got my ass in it or not, or if I said something meaningful. Um, and usually, you know, interactions via comments, it should, it, the size of my account, it should be at least like 30 for everyone. Um, but if you look, you'll see a lot of people with like 400,000 followers that have like 1,500 likes on a picture and then like three comments. So that's because their followers are fake. Um, and then this is something that I think is really important for everybody to hear. And I know that it's kind of harsh, but I like to keep it real because I think at the end of the day, working really hard at something and feeling like a failure all the time is worse than just having known that some things are not for everybody in the first place. So I'll be that guy. Um, not all people in life are destined to get paid the amount of money that they work, want for work that they love. Um, it's just not that way, unfortunately. Sometimes it, we have to take jobs that are able to afford us you know, financial ability or hone a specific skill or help us meet a partner that then parlays into a future in that job. But we can't all just kind of like sit on our couch and be pissed off that we're not getting paid $100,000 to execute a passion. I mean, it took me years to even get to a place, anything even close to that. So for a lot of you, I think really taking a look at your expectations and doing that work to assess, is this a business or a passion? And if it's just a passion, what business opportunities can you take to learn skills that you can use to infuse into your passion, right? Because I mean, there, this isn't about you know, oh, well, my passion isn't a business, so I guess I just have to leave it by the wayside. No, use your actual business where you're able to really gain steady income to learn skills that you can apply to that passion so one day it might be viable as a business. This is about using your limited time wisely so that there's no wasted time. Um, I know we're running out of time here, so I'm just gonna keep speeding through. Funding, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, it is important to be clear on what's what and what works for certain founder types. If you look back at the founder types to kind of give you a, a quick, 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 it's been a long day, team, quick overview. Um, a lot of the founder types that are really focused on data analytics and planning for the future and organization, they're ones that make more sense with kind of the venture capital private equity acquisition route. Um, if you are really that empathetic visionary type, you're probably looking at more like bootstrapping and convertible slash angel loans. Um, and then of course, long-term, a lot of people can get to acquisition even that started off bootstrapping. Um, so let's kind of get into these real quick, a little bit deeper. 
Bootstrapping means keeping the team lean, finances, also reinvesting capital to grow the business so that you retain the equity. This is what we've really focused on as a company for the past four years. We've officially paid off all of our debt, reinvested all that money into the business, and we've grown 400% year over year while also paying off all of our debt and retaining 100% ownership. And again, we, I mean, moi. Um, if you have a desire to exit and you've been bootstrapping, you need at least three years of planning time to create an exit path to acquisition. So a minimum of three years, probably even more than that. So the point is, know where you want to go and start laying the groundwork to get there at least three years prior. Um, loans, which are either convertible equity or angel investment. This is where you're looking to friends or family for small funding options. So we're looking here probably in the like 100 to 200,000 range. Um, every once in a while you can con a friend or family into a million dollars investment, but likely if you're trying to get upwards of that level, you're probably getting it from multiple people. Um, this, you need to have a really clearly outlined strategy for how the funds are going to get used. And if I can give you one really important note. Um, this money should not be going toward expensive hires um, and definitely not to you. If you go to somebody and you're like, well, I need a salary to pay myself, most people are going to laugh at you. So please, for God's sake, don't do that. Um, I've literally paid myself the same salary even now for four years without upping it because I keep reinvesting the money in the business to watch it grow. Um, so just be aware of that. This is typically something that you spend on, you know, the money on, you know, expanding on some piece of technology or building infrastructure or actually ordering an inventory that you're then going to resell. So these are usually things that have more of a tangible expression in your business. Venture capital, private equity, again, really good for those data analytics over, over analyzing types of people even early on. Um, these are people where your business has grown really quickly and it's also not purely based off of your personality. This needs to be something that functions with or without you. Um, typically, if you go through venture capital or private equity, they'll require you of your personality to remain on via contract for a set period of time and often they won't even be interested if it's that based off of your personality. Um, you also have to be willing to give up a rather large percentage of your company for the long-term payoff. So um, a typical rule of thumb, um, I've heard in the industry, and like I said, I haven't, um, I've explored this route multiple times and been approached by venture capital, but it hasn't ever been the right decision for my company because we've been really good at bootstrapping and growing on our own. Um, typically here you're looking at anywhere between 25 and 50% uh, ownership going to the VC or private equity firm. And you're really looking at giving up that ownership stake for the long-term payout and how much uh, more exponentially they're going to grow the company, um, therefore getting more money off of dividends in the long run. Um, these are ideal for people that have a specific product offering, an app or a software or subscription-based app or technology component. Um, acquisition, so this is usually kind of the end of the road for all of the three previous. This is if you're ready to be bought out entirely or a majority share. Um, a good time to do this is when your business is on an uptick or a growth curve, also sometimes referred to as an inflection point, and you don't really feel like you have what it takes to scale the company effectively. Um, also, if your passion is kind of wavering and you know that you might only have two or three years left in you to really give it your all, this is probably when it's time to sell. 
And again, this is something where you really have to have a product offering app, software, subscription component, uh, or technology component. Um, I'm going to quickly jump over here. Does anybody have Oh, and Nadia, you're here. Yay. Um, okay. So does anybody have any questions on what we've gone through so far? Because I'm just going to keep cruising. Because I And I will all stay longer. I'm going to text my hubs and make sure you can stay on with the kids. Questions? Oh, come on. With how many of you are on here right now, you're all being, dare I say, a bit pussy. I know you have questions, you little sillies. Okay, whatever. I'll keep going. Um, how do we get to work for you? Um, we are hiring. Um, you can always send your resume to clientcare.bootyyoga.com. We are hiring for a variety of roles right now, so just send it on over to Client Care. That's going to Megan. Um, and thank you, Daisy. I really appreciate you. Um, sometimes we take remote people, but it's usually not a good fit for our business, but you never know unless you try. So send in your resumes. So I'm going to keep going. What differentiates you from everyone else? Um, and I think we kind of touched on this already, but I'm definitely of the view, which sounds a bit harsh. Um, I think when people are like, there's enough room for everyone to shine. Um, I think in general, this can be true, but in the business setting, this is where we see market oversaturation. And I feel like honestly, to really shine in this business, you have to really be clear on who you are, clear on who you're not, and not just try to be a copy of somebody else, which is often what happens when we take this, like there's room for everyone to shine mentality. Um, most of you are going to have to be you on steroids to crack through the noise. Um, this is something that needs to be really focused on for you, and I hope that you really hear this. And this isn't like, I'm good enough just the way you are. You are good enough the way you are, and lovingly, if you want to actually cut through the noise, like I said, you have to be you on steroids. So do whatever is required to figure out exactly who you are and who you're not, because it's just going to make whatever message you're saying that much more clear and authentic. And statistically, most of you will go on to attempt to copy pieces of someone else's business or passion and try to execute it as your own unless something like this gets through to you. So please, we do need the real you, and I don't want you to be afraid to take risks and just trying to copy somebody else's idea or business plan is just avoiding risks and it is worth all of the fly by the seat of your pants chaotic moments because that's when your best ideas come through look at me i sound like the doer um but it's true those are really the times where you're able to in an effort to protect that brand baby you learn so many things about yourself and it makes you that true authentic voice that everybody in the world does need to hear and really sets you apart distinctly from those entrepreneur type people. So in your handout, um, I want you to go to where it says make a commitment to being authentic to your vision, write it down. If there's something that you know you have to commit to that you tend to kind of fall short on or you tend to watch or stalk some people that you're trying to compete against or this is your time to actually write that down, I will not blah, blah, blah. Only you can know that for yourself. But I urge you to be honest with yourself. And if there's something that you're doing 
that is potentially holding you back, just write it down. Because you are enough, but you're going to have to be so fucking clear on who you are that you can just bump the volume up on that tenfold. And this will absolutely help you do it, practicing intentional ignorance. Um, in my opinion, it's the only way to ensure brand message and integrity. So this is using tunnel vision effectively so that you aren't just constantly diluting your brand's vision by looking at what everyone else is doing. Um, I can't tell you how often I've seen people that are like, oh, well, so-and-so did this with their Instagram. or like, so-and-so is doing this in their email marketing. Fuck those people. They're not you. What their, whatever their idea is and how it's formed doesn't have anything to do with how your message needs to be communicated to your customers. So while they might be doing a great job, you're wasting time watching what they're doing when you could be focusing and honing in more and more on what message you have to get to the world and how to properly get that across. Um, so I'm not saying like completely bury your head in the sand and pretend like you don't have any competitors because you do have competitors but don't waste so much energy trying to mimic what other people are doing because most people in a lot of the spaces that I'm watching right now to invest in, they're just copies on copies on copies. Um, definitely don't dedicate intentional or you know set times where you're studying the competition. I see this a lot where people are constantly doing like a weekly competitor analysis, highly recommend against that. Even if you're not trying to copy, by way of that information going into your brain, you're going to change your thought process and you're more likely to accidentally copy things from that person. So if there's some person in your business that you have to have watch a certain competitor, go for it. But I really would urge you as the founder or brand visionary to not go do that. Also remember that the way it worked for somebody else is not necessarily the way it's going to work for you. And perhaps in the attempt to copy their message, it will permanently change the way your business is executed or consumed, and that's a bad thing. So we've kind of touched on this preventing burnout by aligning passion with purpose. It's clear that a lot of you are passionate about business and bringing some business brand product or service to life. Um, otherwise, you wouldn't be here with me today. Um, but you have to also be equally clear on what the purpose is. So passion, we're talking about the vision, the creativity, the ideas, the drive, your ambition. The purpose is the mission, the impact, the problem that needs to be solved. And I think a lot of you are here probably with a ton of passion and then aren't quite positive about how to shape that purpose. And I urge you to really commit that pen to paper and get it down on that handout I gave you because this is what you're going to have to call on when inevitably life throws some hurdles in your path, right? You're gonna have to jump them and not just look at the hurdle and be like, I'm a failure. Because for most people, the only thing that defines a, you know, an obstacle that actually motivates them to create or pivot or do something new and a failure is literally just your brain's definition, that's it. If I were to see a hurdle, I would see it and be like, wow, okay, go, go gadget, activate muscles, I'm going to figure out a new way to jump this hurdle, where a lot of people would just stop running the race entirely and be like, I don't know how to jump hurdles. So that's up to you to be clear on what these things are because when that hurdle comes, you're gonna have to be so fucking motivated to go after that passion and purpose that you just jump it without even thinking about it. You don't even think about failure, not an option. How can I jump this hurdle faster, more efficiently? And honestly, if you leave this with one takeaway, and this is something that I've completely screwed myself over on early in the early years of my business, just 
say no to friends and family. And I say this wholeheartedly without hesitation. Fuck no. Say no to friends and family. While it might seem like an easy hiring solution or convenient, it does the most harm and sets your business back exponentially. Taking the time to hire the right people who have the proper skill sets or areas of leadership can really impact your business in a positive way. And I know that you love your friends and family, but genuinely, they will ask for the most money, even when they completely don't deserve it. They will ask for favors, they'll ask to borrow money, they will use your personal life against you, even if they're doing it in a very passive aggressive way. And they'll use their knowledge of your personal life to try to change the power differential at work. That's a bitch and a half. They'll cause you tons of stress by making business pivots or changes nearly impossible because you're afraid of ruining the friendship via firing them. So just please, for the love of sweet baby Jesus, don't do it. Um, so one of the, the areas that I want to really open up for Q&A is discussing if something is able to be executed into a business or if you're really clear on the passion, maybe we're just not so sure about what the purpose of it is. So here's some ideas that I'll just throw out so that you can kind of see what comes back. What are the issues that you're facing in your business? What's actually making you feel stuck? Um, are you having trouble formulating the idea or having trouble doing the business plan? Are you trying to decide if you're currently dealing with a business or a passion? And have you signed up for a million and one online courses to make it happen and you're still dry? And by dry, I'm not referring to your lady bit. Um, the leadership quiz, how does that get scored? Um, I'm going to pull that up in a second. Let's see. The situation my husband gets me into all the time. See? And you can't fire him. So hard. Um, somebody says, I recently started to be a CBA for work. I haven't gone to school for any form of marketing. My boss didn't have anybody to teach her the, teach her the position she taught herself. Right now, I don't feel like she's giving me the tools I need to be successful, so I'm trying to indulge into what business world actually looks like. I have people asking me to throw fundraisers for them because they trust me more than her, even though she knows more about the technicalities of the business. How should I handle this situation? She thinks she's right about everything, and I'm 20, so she automatically talks down to me. I know that I'm still learning this position, but I can fucking kill it if I have the proper tools. Um, Sabrina, can I unmute you? Do you mind if I unmute you so we can hash this out via voice? You can just type in and let me know if I can unmute you. Okay, Sabrina, you are unmuted. Hey, hey. how's it going? It's going. It's going. Okay, so it sounds like we've got a few things going on here, but um, more than anything, and excuse me for being a dummy dumb, but what is a CBA? So basically, so I'm at California Pizza Kitchen, and okay. so throw fundraisers for people for nonprofit. I will okay, actually uh, uh, brand ambassador. Okay, got it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll go do food drops, so I'll go and take food to people for free and just put my name out there and try to get them on our calendar. I'll throw mixers, just, you know, putting CPK on the map, and I can do basically whatever I want within reason as long as I'm bringing business into the company. So is your end goal kind of more to get corporate 
accounts or like you know large companies coming into CPK or like doing large orders for meetings uh, and stuff so like yes that is the goal like for me my main goal is fundraising because I like seeing um, the checks that I'm able to give to people the way that their face lights up with that um, it makes me feel like I'm doing something and I feel like at some point in time I want to run a nonprofit maybe I'm um, playing with ideas with that, but I was put into this position just strictly based on my personality. The, um, God, what's his name? Basically, like, the East Coast manager came in and talked to me and told me that I had the perfect fit for this because I knew how to talk to people and my energy was high enough to pull people in and didn't really give me anything after that. And Tiffany, my boss, she didn't have anybody to teach her the position so I don't even technically know if I'm doing this properly. I'm just kind of going with it. But the other day I went to go talk to people and she told me that I was doing terrible and that I was fucking horrible and I didn't know how to handle that situation because we're a team. Okay. And it's not okay to talk to teammates like that. Okay. So I think mm -hmm. there's a couple things going on here. Number one, did she or anybody else give you any sort of measurement tool for your job? No. Okay, so I think that's going to be important. That's something that I think, you know, for anybody listening that's an employee of somebody else, right off the bat, establishing a baseline for how your effort is going to be measured, I think is really important so that people can't randomly be like, you're doing it wrong. Like, I'm doing what wrong? Because you didn't outline anything. Um, yeah. So maybe kind of pushing back in like a, a friendly way and just being like, hey, you know, I, I took your criticism and I really want to be able to help you with this or do a better job. But to do that, I need you to be clear about what my job entails and what good looks like for you so that I can do that. Uh -huh. It needs to get better at kind of outlining what good looks like. And also you have to take into account that she probably also to some extent hates her job and that it might not actually have anything to do with your ability to do or not do a good job. Um, yeah. I think at this point, one of the things to take away from this is this is, it sounds like it's not like your lifelong job, right? So no. knowing that you think you might want to go into a nonprofit or something like that, I think, um, going out of your way to figure out what specific skill sets you want to hone yourself during this job, knowing that it probably has an expiration date, you can get the most out of this job and really kind of push yourself. So maybe you're pushing yourself in like event planning or pushing yourself in like project management and like setting budgets or goals for yourself because maybe no one's going to do that for you. So either mm -hmm. way, these are skills that you can be cultivating yourself. But I think if mm -hmm. she's not going to step in and give you that structure, you almost have to give it to yourself. Um, so that yeah. even okay. if you you can measure your own efficacy. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. Um, today, somebody came in and they asked me, they asked for me specifically to throw a fundraiser for them and went to my GM, went over it. So I have a GM. And then I have a CBA GM, basically. Um, and she went to the restaurant and said that she specifically wanted to work for me and work with me. And she didn't want Tiffany to be involved at all. So how do I even go about that? And Tiffany is your boss or the one that hired you? Uh, well, the, the district manager 
uh, hired me, she was the one that was put into the position to train me. Okay, so my boss, but not my big boss. You just have to go into it knowing that that's probably going to piss Tiffany off, but also it's completely yeah. out of your control, and you don't need to do anything to change your behavior because of that. I mean, she mm -hmm. likely her behavior likely elicited that situation in the first place. So. Um, mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying about this job. I think your best bet is to not take anything personally at this job and either ask for clear guidelines to measure your success or efficacy. And if they're not going to do it, set make a plan to do it for yourself and just know that this job has an expiration date and that you're going to work on these skills for yourself and then take it to another place. Word. Word. Are you a booty teacher? Or do you practice? Um, I'm, I'm trying to get certified in April. Um, but there's not a start in Texas, so, you know, if anybody hears that and is here. What part of Texas? I'm in Austin. I'm, I'm Asian star. Sure, I'm sure we have an Austin one on the books. We've got Austin, Houston, and Dallas on the books. Okay. I will check that out for sure. I need to be. All I right, want cool. to. Well, good luck, and I would definitely try to do those things because, again, putting your whole like life and personal stock in this job is going to be a mistake. So mm -hmm. see if it is, focus on certain things and set a plan to gain skills and then just give yourself a pat on the back and don't take anyone else's bullshit personally. Yeah. All right, girl. Thank you so much. Okay. Does anybody else have questions? Y'all are so quiet. Nadia, are you holding all of your questions for when we have our session next week? <laughs> Um, Nadia, how important is it to have short, medium, and long-term rollout offerings for your business, or should you keep things nimble and be able to be responsive to where revenue comes from and where interest is and roll things out slowly? Um, I'm not sure whether better to go to market with everything ready. Okay, this is a great question. Um, I definitely am a firm believer in a phased rollout plan. So I think you want to have your initial offerings and make sure that they're not like too meager. I don't want you to do it out of like a, you know, scarcity mindset. Like I don't want to unleash everything in the beginning because then, you know, like what if I have nothing else to give? Because I mean, especially I know you, but in general, what we perceive as our all is really just scratching the surface once we start to get into this work. So definitely do it in a phase rollout program where you have like a pretty like good solid core offering. And then what I would do is I would have kind of like a phase two and phase three, but also get really good at social listening where you're listening very closely to your customer base so that if you're noticing that they're going left and your next launch goes right, maybe you find a happy medium in between the two or you start crafting your marketing messaging so that you can be like, hey, by the way, we're about to go right. We're going to go right in one month. We're going right right now so that you can actually help guide them. So I think it's a, it's a duality of listening to your customer, which is that like social listening skill and having that influence your product offerings while also being clear on what you want to do before you listen so that you're kind of taking that into account, but you're not letting that be the end all be all. Um, so I think the flexibility is important, but I think bringing your authentic vision and phase plan to light first so that you can fuse the two together without one overly influencing the other, I think is where it's at and really important. Um, let's see, Leslie, how do you define who you are and stay true to that, especially during challenges as they come up? And what are your thoughts on starting a franchise? 
And how do you balance married life with running a business and not letting them conflict? Wow, girl, you're throwing me those hard questions, though. Um, okay, so that's a lot of things. Okay, Leslie, do you want me to unmute you? May I unmute you? <laughs> Leslie's already having separation anxiety. She's like, I don't want the content. Are you here? Can I unmute you? Oh, she doesn't have audio on her computer. Okay, well, okay. Let's tackle this question by question. Um, how do you define who you are and stay true to that, especially during challenges as they come up? So when it comes to, I mean, I think this is a broader question, which Leslie, you're in break, so let's save some of that for a different conversation. So I mean, just in terms of identity, I think that's a way bigger piece. But in terms of business, you need to be very clear on how, how you would describe your product or your vision. Who's gonna like your product or not? Obviously, this is all projection, right? You're guessing. Like I can tell you right now exactly what types of people would likely be exceptionally adverse to booty because I'm, I'm clear enough in who I am and who I'm not and that I can't be everything to everybody. Um, so I think that's number one is to get, I don't know, I'm like somehow, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm in, I'm in a rocking chair, 611, I'm still at work. Um, one thing that's very important is to get rid of this like people pleasing mentality. So if any of you have kind of come into adulthood and you realize you're kind of a people pleaser, you kind of just go with the flow and do what everybody else wants, or you grew up and you were that chameleon that was so good at fitting in with all the different kinds of groups while on the inside, you don't really know who the fuck you are. Those things are all kind of a precursor for being very clear on who you are in this business and what the business needs to be and what it doesn't need to be. Um, so doing that work to stop being the people pleaser and stop trying to be everything for everybody because your business, some people are going to hate it. That doesn't mean that it's bad in and of itself. It just means that you're probably very clear on who you are. The clearer something is, uh, the more people will have a strong reaction to it, either love or hate. I've now created two companies where people actually had my company stuff tattooed all over them. Um, that's because it's very fucking clear. Like you either love it and it's your life and you're probably calling us a cult or you hate it and you think that we're, you know, I don't know, Satan or something. It's all fine. Um, but step one comes in that like kind of getting rid of the people pleasing chameleon thing. Um, and then in your business, what about that fun, trying to shape what that business is. And again, who treating it like an identity, who's going to like it, who's not going to like it. What are the hurdles you're going to bump up against? And uh, what are you willing to accept in that brand or what are you not willing to accept? And how would you message it? All of those things. So treating it like a person, how does it dress? What does it think? How does it talk? All of those things are important. Um, the second part of the question, what are your thoughts on starting a franchise? I think it needs to be a franchise that you're passionate about. Um, I also think you need to have a clear number in mind that you're wanting to make annually because franchises, um, the growth is kind of capped unless you're planning on opening a lot of franchises or being kind of like a regional owner. Um, so I think number one, you have to really genuinely love the franchise, what it stands for, the mission, and you have to be really committed to it. Um, and then on top of that, you have to know that if you're just opening one, it's going to probably be enough to kind of support your family and take some pressure off in time, but it's not going to be like an exponential growth where like, you know, you're moving into a multi-million dollar house and like getting a private jet. So really it's just a matter of your expectations. Um, if you want that, you're probably going to have to own multiple regions over time. 
Um, okay. Somebody says, I just started a yoga studio, wondering how much daily social media exposure is too much on the business page. I don't want to bog down people's Facebooks with constant posts about upcoming classes. Um, okay. A um, couple thoughts on this. Number one, um, I think the incessant class posts are ineffective. Um, I think that Zen Soul, if you look at Lindsay Hopes, she's a booty studio owner here in Scottsdale. I think she does a really good job on keeping her social media balanced. Um, I think that, you know, there's a different use for social media. Some people really look for the kind of overall look and feel of their Instagram, which is important to some people. She kind of just goes for like, getting the mentality and the authentic message of the brand across. So um, again, being clear on who she is and who she's not, a lot of her Instagram posts would already clearly keep people away from her studio that don't find those things funny. So in a way it's almost like weeding out and doing some of the marketing for her, which is really clever. Um, I wouldn't do consistent class posts. Um, I think for uh, yoga studios, you have to be clear on the fact that number one, Google and SEO is your best friend. That's the most important thing way above any other social media. Um, also having strategic social media posting walls in your studio so that you have organic social media instead of you always posting stuff. You wanna create a wall kind of, I mean, I don't know if you can see. So, God, this is so awkward with the camera. I don't know if you can really see it, anyways. We make sure that everywhere in our office we have like really unique social media friendly walls and people, anyone that comes in here is always like, mm, selfie, uh, tag, hashtag, post, whatever. Um, you want to create those experiences where people are doing it for you because it actually boosts you higher if you have lots of different people talking about your brand instead of just you constantly talking about your brand. And that's how a lot of social media algorithms work. So you want to create those spaces. You want to make sure that you create some sort of theme and pace. Like for instance, I think for a studio like yours, making sure that you come out with a really deeper, meaningful blog post that gets people into like why or who you are once a week or maybe once every two weeks. Um, keep some of your posts lighthearted on your social media. So it's not like you only post about classes because what if somebody can't come to class that week, but you still want them to engage with your studio and your vibe? You want to bring them into the, the lifestyle of it and the mentality of it. Um, and I think for a yoga studio, like I said, Google and SEO should be primary focus. Um, creating those social media walls or things where people naturally are going to want to post or you can incentivize people to post and give them like, you know, reward points for a class or something like that. Um, I would make sure that your Instagram kind of has again that theme or pace where it's like maybe one day you do like a move of the week and then the next day you do like a featured student and then like a featured class that it's not like you're constantly bombarding them with the schedule but instead giving them fun or entertaining content that drives them to the website where your schedule just is so i think for you bringing them into the lifestyle is the most important um facebook events are going to be useful for you when you do workshops or pop-up events and then, you know, trying to build some stuff on your Facebook page is important too, um, especially for Facebook advertising. And for a yoga studio, once you build up a, some decent engagement on Facebook, I would definitely do some strategic Facebook advertising in your area based on demographics. The promoted post thing, I could do like a whole separate segment on promoted post versus advertising, but I won't today. Um, so I would focus on those things for now. And then I'll definitely, 
I already am having a bunch of ideas for the next special sauce. So um, I'll create an email address where everyone can write in their business questions and I'll just kind of go and answer them on our phone calls together. Um, does anybody else have questions while we're while we're here? Or is it time for this session of the special sauce to end? I think it might be time for this special sauce to come to a close. Um, for now, if you have some business questions for the next episode, you can email them to contact at busygold.com. Um, make sure to print out these handouts, and I will definitely be doing this at least every other week. Um, sorry, somebody just typed in a question. I recently got my booty certification. So I know my fire and inspiration is on high right now. As a yogi, I'm always working on me, taking courses, etc. How do I know what my business will be? I think it's kind of hard to say at this point. Um, so I think also it's kind of challenging to look at being an instructor in and of itself as a business. I think the way as a yoga instructor you really make money is through teaching your consistent classes but building in a really strong workshop offering and doing events outside of your regular classes that you can pack at a higher price point. Um, so I'll, I'll do a whole episode on how to turn your yoga instruction into an actual like profit-making career because I think there's a lot of you that want that. So I'll definitely touch on that the next episode. But I would say for right now, Focus on just being the best booty instructor you can be and always staying humble and being that student and continuing to push yourself. And in time, when you start to build a following, that's when you can start to build in some of those other offerings that really make you money. All right. Oh, I have a ha, hat, Hatha. I think you're trying to write Hatha. I have, you wrote hat, ha. I have a hat, ha. Yoga class that has potential to do well, but building a following for it has been extremely difficult. Any ideas? I've tried free classes and workshops. Alex, there's some classes and time slots that are just fucking cursed. So I would say in the beginning of your studio, you have to ride this fine line of like committing to a schedule and not changing it too much, but then also playing around with time slots. So what I am doing for my New York studio, for instance, I always have a Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule that's consistent. And then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I have four time slots that I'm constantly shuffling around. So they know Tuesdays and Thursdays are kind of like the wild card, like, woo, what's going to happen now? I would do those the shuffle days and then try to keep some consistent classes. But you don't want to constantly be changing because people need to get used to things. And your studio hasn't been open that long, so I would just give it a little bit longer because it could be a combination of that class at that time versus that class at a different time could do fine, or a different class at that time could do fine. Um, somebody says, thank you, busy, this is great stuff. Definitely staying tuned for the special sauce. Me too, I'm so pumped on the special sauce, you guys. This is my favorite thing to do. I love just sitting in my office, helping y'all be badasses. So until next time, I'll see you on the special sauce next week, hopefully. We'll try to get an episode in early, and like I said, if you have questions about your business or you want to appear on the episode um, and you want to just kind of wrap it out and we can actually work through your business out loud, email contact at busygold.com. All right. Love y'all. Keep being badasses.